Welcome to another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. I am your host, Brian Bott from Sports Advantage in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm here with my co-host, Dean Matchy from Kimberly. Dean, are you over there? Absolutely. You fired up? We got track season starting. We got football going on. We got a lot of stuff going on over at Maker Nation, huh? Absolutely. Nice. Interesting year right now going on with the alternate football season, but uh, we're surviving. We got some athletes doing a little bit of both right now. Some kids are doing a little baseball and they're doing some football practice in the same day. So it's uh, uncharted waters as far as this goes. This has never happened in my 26 years uh, being a teacher at the high school level. So they'll get through it and seniors are getting a great opportunity to compete. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's awesome. So many, so many great people given so much of their time to try and double up. And I know we got coaches that coach both, you know, football and baseball, football and track that are, you know, putting in double duty. So kudos to all those people for, for giving to themselves to, to help the kids have a great experience. And with that said, we want to, we want to get to the main event here. We're, we're pretty excited about um, the guy we have on. Um, I've known him for about 15, 15, 16 years, worked with him at the university of Wisconsin. Uh, he is a, Brookfield Central, correct? Brookfield correct. Central, uh, Brookfield Central High School grad, and he is a former Cle Cleveland Browns left tackle. And I'm speaking of none other than Joe Thomas. Joe, are you there? I'm here, Bebot, and uh, thanks for having me on today. Well, we we don't do video, but you know we got the we got a cool Joe Thomas here because he just <laughs> had some uh, laser surgery, so he's definitely he's big leaguing us with his sunglasses on, but. We're going to uh, we're going to pop through this here, and, and Joe's going to share some great information. And before I let Joe talk about himself, I think the best part that that I've experienced with Joe is as great of a football player as he is, and as great of a thrower is he's a he's a great person. And so, for all you high school college coaches out there, high school college athletes, buckle up because uh, we're going to have some great information here from one of the best to ever play. So, Joe. Um, a lot of us kind of know your background, but just kind of share your background with us. And, uh, you know, we're really excited to, to hear from you today. Yeah, I'll give you a, a brief background. I played all sorts of sports growing up. I played, you know, baseball, soccer, football, basketball, track and field. And then I got a little bit more focused once I got to high school and I kind of narrowed it down to uh, football, basketball and track. Started playing tackle football in seventh grade. I know that's a big question that I get from a lot of parents these days is, you know, hey, when did you start playing tackle football and stuff like that? Um, and then played uh, three varsity sports, got four letters in uh, each sport at Brookfield Central, ended up getting a scholarship to the University of Wisconsin to play football. I also did track for my first two years at Wisconsin. Um, and then I actually tore my ACL playing defense in the Capital One Bowl my junior year had to get surgery. So I missed the junior track season. And then my senior season of football ended up going on being the first Outland Trophy winner in Wisconsin history, which is given to the nation's most outstanding interior lineman. And then uh, after that season was over, I started training for the combine. So I missed my senior season of track, which was kind of a bummer because actually I ended up getting drafted three overall by the Cleveland Browns and then Phil Savage was the GM at the time. And I still had this great passion for track and field. I, I mean, I still do to this day. I can't wait to get my kids out there, but I asked him, I was like, Hey, do you think it'd be okay if I just competed in the big 10 championship? Like, 
Based on the numbers that I had when I was a sophomore, I would win this thing by three feet because it was kind of a down year. And basically at that point, he's, he was kind of saying like, this is a business now, son. We're not playing around with that track and field stuff. Like your ability to go out there and not be injured is feeding my family right now. So you better not go hurt yourself uh, doing a track meet. So I unfortunately did not get to do that, but ended up going on and playing 11 years with the Cleveland Browns and retired in 2017. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so you, you brought up kind of what, one of our first questions, Joe, is, is let's take us back to that Outback Bowl game, right? Um, it was Coach Alvarez's, uh, we'll call it his first last game of his career because he's had a couple other ones since right. then. Um, you know, and so a lot of the spotlight for that game was obviously on him, but I believe it was the second or third quarter. And, and you brought up the fact that, you know, you stepped up for the team because we were very decimated going to that bowl game uh, with D lineman. And we had some pretty good, pretty good players that we weren't able to play. And, um, you know, you as the player you were and the person you are stepped up and, you know, we're going to play, I think it was like 10, 15 plays uh, for us just to kind of give guys breaks and, uh, you know, obviously make plays because I think you made some plays before uh, the injury occurred. And, you know, the injury occurred while you're on defense um, chasing a play. And, you know, from your mindset, you know, knowing full well, Joe, that you that there's probably a good chance that you might leave for the NFL after that game. Um, and you were laying there, you know, on that table. What 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 was going through your mind? You know, and then also how long did it take you personally to kind of squash it, put it behind you and say it's time to refocus? You know, I'm going to become back bigger and better than ever. Yeah. So back up when I was in high school, I played both sides of the ball and I was actually a much better defensive player in high school because, you know, a lot of times when you get a little less specific coaching, it's easier to be good at defense because it's more natural. It's more athletic. Hey, big guy, go get the football, right? I could do that all day long. So I was the co-defensive player of the year uh, in Wisconsin, my senior year of high school. And so then my freshman year in college, I was a backup offensive lineman, jumbo tackle, uh, jumbo tight end. And Actually, we had a bunch of injuries going into the bowl game my freshman year. So we had sort of an open tryout uh, amongst the guys that were available at that time. And um, if you don't understand how bowl practice works, you play your last game about Thanksgiving. And then you've got all the way until Christmas or January 1st, which is, you know, five or six weeks where you have practice. And so a lot of times it's about developing the young guys or maybe trying guys at different positions. And so because I wasn't yet playing as a true freshman, Barry let me try out for defensive end. I ended up winning the position and starting in that game, which was my first true start uh, as a Wisconsin Badger, was actually a, a, as a defensive end. Played well in that game. So then fast forward to our junior season, similar situation like uh, Brian was mentioning, where we were decimated along the defensive line. Um, I fancied myself as a team player. That was all about trying to get some wins. Plus, hey, it'd be kind of cool. Go out there, play defense. No pressure. He's not a defensive player, but you go get a sack. <laughs> hey, somebody might give you a free beer in the bar that night. So I was all I was all for going out there and going both ways. Um, and I played a few snaps. Um, it was a hot day, if I remember, yep. in Orlando, Florida, you know, mid-80s. And uh, I was playing both ways. The plan was, hey, if the game's close, we'll give you some snaps on defense. If uh, it's not close, we'll just save you on offense. And so um, I ended up going out there. I probably played, you know, seven or eight plays. And what I was on the backside of a play, and we were playing against Auburn. And I forget the name of the running back. But it was, Williams. It was a toss crack away from me. So 
as the ball rounded the edge and started getting up the alley, getting upfield as the backside defensive end. I took my angle. I started to pursue. And then one of the safeties, I think it was actually Joe Stelmacher, he came down to fill the hole, which caused the running back to cut back, uh, almost trying to get behind me. And so as I'm running full speed, which I'm not really used to doing as a offensive tackle, I put my right foot in the ground and tried to simultaneously stop and change directions and turn and I think the combination of just running faster than I was used to and some instability in my hip and my knee just from being fatigued. Um, and then, of course, like that twisting action just caused me to pop my ACL and hit the dust. And it was one of those things where once they brought me back after the game and I was talking with the doctors and he kind of gave me the news that he thought it was a torn ACL, immediately you go to like this self-pity zone, which is really like kind of pathetic. And all you can think about is like, oh, I ruined everything. What was I doing playing defense? Now I'll never be able to play in the NFL. You know, because what little my mind knew about ACLs or at that time we said, blow your knee out was like, <laughs> you blow your knee out, you're done. You can't come back, right? And I had no concept of the fact that modern medicine was so good at bringing people back from those injuries, not only from what the doctor does under the knife, but from a rehab standpoint and getting guys back just as good, if not better than they were before. And so um, it took me the rest of that day and then into the next day when I started researching, talking to guys and a great benefit for me was playing on the team previously with Lee Evans, who had torn his ACL a bunch of times, come back, ended up being a first round pick. Uh, the Badgers helped me reach out to Lee and I talked to Lee and basically he encouraged me that this is not a death blow to your career. This is not the end. It's just a little bump in the road. You're going to have to take a little different process this spring than you expected. You're probably not going to want to come out for the NFL draft because at that point it was still kind of up in the air whether I come back for my senior season or whether I uh, go for the NFL draft. And so at that point, I just sort of accepted that growth positive mindset that people talk about, like, you know what, I'm going to use this to my advantage. And this is going to be a feather in my cap when it's all said and done, because yeah. I know down the line, I'm going to be able to look back at this adversity and going through the rehab process. And it's going to have made me a better person and a better football player. Awesome. Awesome. And just as a follow up to that, Joe, I think. And I think maybe, I hope you agree with me. I think that from my perspective as a strength coach, there's always moments in your coaching career and playing career where you have some of those aha moments. And for me as a, as a strength coach, that was one of those moments of, I want to look beyond what we're doing in the weight room and are there things that we need to add? And that's when we really started, you know, focusing on the FMS and evaluations and assessments that we that that I still carry today to Sports Advantage, because when I looked at it and, and Joe, you're a very high profile guy. It's how does this how you know how can this happen to a guy who you know can squat nearly 600 pounds, benches over four, runs a sub five, verticals you know 30 plus. You know it's one of those things where you start to look at there's more than just those numbers. And I think for you in, in, in your development, I think you started to look at some of those things as well, right? No doubt. It definitely gave me much better um, recognition of myself, my own body, and, and an understanding that I, being a higher level athlete, need to know my body better than the doctor does. I need to know my body better than the trainers do. And then 
really from that moment forward, I kind of had an aha moment, like you mentioned, uh, that continued throughout my professional career where I wanted to know before something was going to happen. I wanted to be able to feel if something was wrong that was going to lead to injury so that I could do something before I was laying there on the trainer's table injured. And it kind of pushed me down the path of like you're talking about the functional movement screening. I got really, really deep into yoga during my career, which I think really helped me identify and be in touch with my mind and all the small muscles in my body so that I could feel instabilities as they were happening. I could feel adhesions as they were growing and I could knock it out so that my entire body was working as a finely tuned and finely oiled robot so that I wouldn't ever put myself in a position like I did getting injured where I'm running too fast. I'm running outside the frame of my body. My muscles are not firing properly. Like I'm trying to build this supercomputer within my, my brain to be able to see that that's going to happen and shut it down or change it or do whatever I need to do from a modality standpoint to correct it before it becomes an injury. Because by the time you get injured, now all you're looking at is the rehab process. Yep. Hey, Joel, Brian and I obviously are really big. And when we talk to our athletes, obviously Brian in the private sector and myself in, in a high school setting is we are always letting our athletes know, Hey, if you're not out for a spring sport, you're not playing baseball, you know, you need to go off for track, be multi-sport. And we are really pushing that on both of our ends. And you just talked about all the different sports you played. And then you kind of narrowed that down at the high school level. And then you did the two sports at the college level, but uh, explain to our viewers, you know, how that shaped you as a person and as far as an athlete once you got done with your playing days in college? Most guys that you'll talk to that have made it to the professional level, and I would say even most guys at the collegiate level are going to tell you that they played multiple sports growing up and that it was a huge benefit to their development as a general athlete. Because the sooner that you specialize, I think, is the sooner – that you lower the ceiling of overall potential athleticism within your system or your body because specialized movements have a way of being self-limiting. And a lot of times if you're, for instance, if you're a weightlifter, like you can do one exercise and you like, let's say you're doing the bench press, you can bench press until you feel like you can't improve, <laughs> increase your maximum anymore. But then all of a sudden this weird thing happens in our brain is if you go from doing that bench press and you maybe step away for a little bit and you start squatting, all of a sudden you can go back and just because you've grown your mind and you've grown the entire battery as a whole, you can get better at the bench press. And so by having all these different sports that you're playing, you're challenging your mind, you're challenging your body. You're, you're challenging the reactivity of all of your muscles and how you're able to respond to different situations. And in the end, you make yourself a better athlete. And that's more than you can do in the weight room or it's more than you can do like doing a little bit of extra tennis in the off season or extra football or soccer. And I, I truly believe that a huge part of my success in my NFL career came from my multi-sport background, specifically basketball was huge because of the plyometric factor and because of the agility factor, but also in track and field, because my technique as an offensive tackle largely mirrored the glide technique that I used as a shot putter. And I pretty much, when you talk to uh, NFL coaches, they'll say that my pass set technique is 
is different than anybody had ever done before that. And a lot of people have adapted it because they understand the biomechanical advantages, not only from a leverage standpoint, but an ability to get out of your stance quickly and get back away from the football. And I took that directly. I developed that directly from my movement as a glider shot putter. What I think too, what fits in with that before we move on to the next thing, Joe, is that if you're playing two or three sports in high school, you know, versus a one sport athlete, those one sport athletes spend nine months, you know, in an off season mode training where, you know, you spoke about basketball, you're probably not, you know, most kids aren't training four days a week. So, you know, you see that, you know, I think, you know, I'll bring up a school that I don't know, you know, Ohio state, but, you know, I think like 98% of their kids over the last three or four years are multi-sport and you get a kid that's a very high level athlete to begin with. And then you, put them in a little bit more specialized strength and conditioning program, this kid's only going to take off even more because now he, he starts to narrow it down. Like you said, you know? Yeah. You guys could help me with the specific term in this, but um, when you're weightlifting, if, if you're not pushing yourself beyond what your brain thinks is possible, you're not going to get the adaption that you need in order to grow muscle and grow strength. Now, when you're 14, it doesn't matter. You slide any 14 year old kid under a bench press he's going to get stronger. But when you get to old man age, like we are, <laughs> if you want to get stronger, if you want to get bigger muscles, you need to physically almost every single rep that you're in there, push yourself beyond what you feel is possible. That's the only way that the body adapts. And it's the same thing with sports. I think it's so powerful to make sure that your brain is staying fresh, especially as a kid, if you think about how easily bored youth athletes are, right? If they're specialized in one sport, they're probably not by the end of nine months of doing one thing, they're probably not giving their absolute best beyond they could possibly imagine effort in everything they do because it's kind of boring. It's kind of routine. It's just human nature, right? But if you're changing up those sports for those kids and you're keeping it fresh in their mind, they're giving better effort at each individual sport and they're becoming better athlete as a whole. They're growing the battery, they're growing the machine that is their body. And I think that's so important. And I think the mind so often is so underappreciated how powerful it is. I'll give you a quick example. When uh, I tore my tricep. So uh, after I tore my ACL, then I ended up going another 11 and a half years without missing a play for injury. So it, it, it uh, must've done it's something, something right. Did something <laughs> right after, after that. So I played, you know, 11,000 plus plays college and NFL without missing a play after that. But um, I, I think w when I look at my ability to go and do that, that was directly related to my ability to keep my mind fresh, to, to think about how I was able to train each individual muscle and have that mind muscle connection that Arnold talked about. If you ever watch pumping iron, he also talks about the mind muscle connection and how powerful it is. So then the injury that I, I uh, got my 11th season in the NFL, I tr tore my tricep tendon. Now it didn't necessarily end my career, but it was the last injury I had on the football field because I retired at that point because of a knee injury. But during my rehab process, I couldn't lift my, t my surgically repaired left arm for like almost six months, no pressing because that tendon had to heal. Yep. So what I did is I lifted really, really hard one arm with my right arm and it actually prevented my left arm from losing as much muscle mass as you normally would expect from not hardly using those muscles for that length of time because your brain doesn't know the difference between a single arm movement and a double arm movement. And your brain is strong enough to turn on the cells 
and receptors the deep, le- the deep levels so it says don't wither away and die yeah. i need those muscles because i'm trying to lift heavier weights and it's so amazing how your brain can control your muscles like that even more than just physical exercise no that's awesome that that's awesome um okay joe we're going to kind of we're going to switch gears a little bit here um you know, one of the things that, that, and it's a pretty popular story that people talk about all the time, but I think in today's culture with even youth athletics and high school athletics, things like that is so many coaches put so much pressure on kids to not miss any workouts in the summer. Family vacations are, are a little frowned upon, um, things like that. But from your perspective, you took the day that, no, you know, no question was the dream day in your life. I mean, let's, I mean, outside of probably marrying your wife, okay, and having your kids, you know, that was probably, I would guess, one of the top days in your life. And instead of going to New York City, where all the top draft picks are picked, and you knew going in, you were going to be a top draft pick, um, you chose to spend the day with your father and do something that you've always done since you were a kid. And to me, that as a father myself, that just speaks volumes on the type of person you are, um, the respect you have for family and things like that. So I think our, our, and our kids need to hear this too, how important those moments are with your family and sports are, sports are always there, missing a, a, a couple workouts or things like that. And coaches need to hear that too. Just just share with us, share with us a little bit about just having balance and how you were able to do that. Because again, this, this isn't like some little league game on a Saturday afternoon that people don't want to miss. This is the NFL draft. This is the, the, the draft. So kind of share with that a little, share with that with us. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. NFL draft 2007. I got invited to go to New York city to celebrate with the other top five draft picks that were out there. And I decided that my time would be more well spent hanging out with my dad, going fishing on Lake Michigan the way we did so many Saturdays growing up. Um, And I knew that once you get drafted, life gets so busy as a professional. I didn't know when the next time would be that I would be able to get to take my dad out fishing. And so I wanted to make sure that I maximize my time, right? Priorities are everything. And there's a quote that I remember hearing in my NFL career that I took with me that I thought was really positive. And the quote is, keep the main thing, the main thing. And don't lose sight of why you're doing stuff. And I think a lot of times it's easy with today's society being so busy and we have so many activities and there's so many things on our brain. I mean, I fall victim to that just as much as anybody, but sometimes we lose track of why we're doing stuff. And I think on the practice field, I think in the weight room, um, at home, you know, sometimes we just need to stop and take a pause and say, time out. Why am I doing this? What is my purpose? And I think with summer activities like you talked about my wife and I've had this conversation already and now I haven't been on the other side of it I haven't been that coach or or, uh, that person putting the games and the tournaments and the practices together Um, and so I, I guess I haven't seen that perspective but I think it's important when your kid is 12 13 14 16 years old to realize that you know what maybe that weekend up north where we go to the cabin and we spend it just us four or five as a family, that's going to be so much better for our family, for my kid, 
than going to another soccer tournament or going to another baseball tournament or whatever that looks like. Now, of course, you got to have that balance of I want to make sure I'm there for my teammates. But at the same time, I think it's maybe important for coaches to kind of understand that, you know, this is youth sports. The point is developing great young men and women and teaching them great lessons and teaching them discipline. But part of learning discipline and learning great lessons is learning priorities. And sometimes the priority is going on that camping trip with mom and dad or going on that fishing trip with dad uh, over spending that time on an athletic field. Because I know that I learned a lot, maybe sometimes even more when I would go on those fishing trips with my dad, when I'd get those one-on-one times to create those memories. Certainly my dad remembers those times when he would take me fishing up in Canada and we'd sit in a canoe for a week straight a lot more than he does taking me to a soccer practice. And I think it's, it's that bond that you make with family and friends and stuff that when you're little, that those are the things you, you carry with you your entire life. So don't be afraid to say no. And if I could just steal one more second, my wife, um, Annie, she played basketball at Wisconsin. Brian trained her when she was in college. And so we were both pretty good athletes, but we've already had this conversation. Like we've got four little ones. Our oldest is eight. We haven't had to deal with it yet, but we've already had that conversation. Like when the time comes and we're certainly at some point going to get faced with that decision of, do we take Logan, who's our oldest, up north and spend this time as a family or do we you know let her go to that soccer tournament or whatever and i think both of us have said now it's easy right now when we're not faced with that real decision but (laughs) we both said like it's important to have balance not only for adults but for kids and so don't lose track of what the main thing is and what are the reasons that we're putting them in sports in the first place yes Hey, joe as a football coach and a strength coach i must get this question a lot i mean just a ton Every year, as kids are always trying to gain weight, you know, yeah. specifically if they're an offensive lineman, defensive yeah. lineman. And I've seen articles uh, on yourself and, and how difficult it is to be able to maybe maintain a weight once you're there and also to gain a weight. And then also after your NFL playing career, you kind of just flip the coin <laughs> in a great direction as far as your health. If you could kind of explain the gaining weight process, maybe some strategies that might help our athlete listeners out there. And then for those people maybe that don't go on to college or don't go on to the NFL, and then they want to um, just get healthy and lose some weight after their playing days. Yeah, this is a great topic. And I feel really lucky to be able to speak about it because I've been on both sides of those coins. When I was in high school, my freshman year, I was 6'7", 220. And you can imagine what 6'7", 220 looks like not a lot of meat on that bone. That's all I'm saying. Um, and so I had to really work hard to gain weight through high school. And then when I got to college, um, I was only 250 pounds and they were putting me at left tackle day one. So uh, going against guys like Erasmus James, who was 270 and Antosh Hawthorne was 320. That doesn't work so well as a 250 pound lineman. So I had to gain weight fast when I was in college as well, which was a little bit easier because you have a better support system of Uh, nutritionists and training table that can feed you more often and kind of focus on putting that weight on you. And you're getting so much better of weight training where it's actually weight training. It's not just uh, sweating in the weight room. Um, So that makes a big difference. But as far as the diet side goes, I would say that uh, in high school, there is no better way than if you're trying to gain weight to go and get a loaf of white bread and peanut butter and jelly and make that entire loaf into peanut butter and jellies, cut them in half so you got half peanut butter and jellies. And every hour or two, 
eat a half a peanut butter and jelly because you could put it right in your bag. I used to bring a whole whole loaf and I'd put it right in my backpack. I'd bring it to class. And as long as the teacher's okay with you eating it in class, maybe in between class, I would eat a half of those. And so you were still getting your three meals per day, but you were expanding your stomach and you were expanding with high calorie bread, which is gonna spike your insulin and it's gonna either grow muscle or it's gonna store fat. Both are good things when you're 14 and you're trying to gain weight. Um, it's going to fill up your stomach with proteins, with good fats, uh, and the sugar that'll help, like I mentioned, uh, spike your, your blood sugar and your insulin. So, um, also if you can pair it with whole milk, because whole milk has the most amount, most amount of growth factors of anything that you can possibly drink. And it's super cheap, like a gallon of whole milk for a couple bucks. That is a tremendous tool in your belt to try to gain weight and so i would do that i wasn't able to drink the whole milk during school because i had no refrigerator to keep it in but when i would get home i would make sure i'd eat my half a pb and j and i'd pull my pour myself a big uh glass of whole milk and then right before bed that was the other key moment peanut butter and jelly sandwiches huge glass of whole milk and cookies i would eat the thin mint girl scout cookies yeah that was the ticket yes yeah, that was actually pretty much like the strategy that I followed even when I was in college in the NFL. Like in, in the NFL, you get access to a little bit better supplements. They give them to you for free. So then you don't have to worry about it as much. So I would usually take a casein protein before bed in addition to my ice cream and my cookies when I was trying to gain weight. Um, but it's not necessary. Like it, it, a casein protein shake is only a small amount better than uh, whole chocolate milk. Like when you look at it from a nutrient standpoint. So if you're on more of a budget, just buy the milk. You don't need to go and buy the fancy protein powders. They're not that much better than what you're, you're getting from God's critters that are walking around eating alfalfa and hay. Um, as, you know, talking about the whole milk, I remember Travis Frederick um, telling me a story. And, and when Travis was in high school, I believe his senior year, he broke his, his wrist or his forearm um, probably four or five weeks before they were, uh, before play or not, nah, I think right before playoffs. And he said he drank a gallon to two gallons of whole milk a day. Wow. And then, and it was pretty consistent with his family, but when he did that and he was actually able to come and play with, you know, he had a, you know, a brace on able to play in the state championship game, like five weeks after some, it was some, some real short yeah. time. But I also, then when you start talking about whole milk, Travis is probably the strongest guy I've ever trained. So there's a little bit of something that goes into that too. I mean, you know, and, and hardly ever hurt, you know, and, and if he ever did get hurt, he recovered fast from it. Um, I, I will say that, you know, a nutritionist or you guys could probably wax much more poetically than I could about the benefits of whole milk. But when you break it down and you think about it, the cow produces this wonderful thing called milk and basically everything that's inside of there is specifically formulated from God to go into that calf's mouth and that calf's belly to grow it, right. to grow its muscles, to grow its bone structure, to grow its tissues. And it's such a wonderful tool that you can imagine why if all you drank was milk, you could still gain muscle, you could still gain strength and you could survive. There's very other foods on the planet 
that if all you did was eat and consume that one thing, you wouldn't just die of some nutrient deficiency, but milk actually has all of those. It's got an unbelievable amount of growth factors that triggers all the cells to grow and to repair themselves. And when you're thinking about, okay, I'm lifting weights really heavy and I'm trying to gain muscle and I'm trying to get bigger. Obviously you're trying to tear those muscles down with some type of hypertrophy, but also you need the fuel, you need the building blocks to be able to build them back up and repair those muscles. And there's nothing better than milk on this planet. Yeah, no question. You got to keep it simple. You know, high school kids got to not worry about all the fancy stuff, you know, PB, PB and J's drinking chocolate milk and, and, you know, a couple other things have been around, you know, probably as long as barbells and barbells are still around. So, so are those. So, um, so Joe, we talk about your career a little bit, you know, um, you know, you personally, you, you've experienced a lot of success, obviously in, in high school, you had a lot of success, um, Outland trophy winner, which is, you know, an incredible award to win, um, at Wisconsin, you played on some pretty good teams. Um, you know, you got to the NFL, you know, multi pro bowls, you know, all pro things like that. Definitely recognized in my opinion as the best lineman to ever play, but I'm a little biased, but, um, you know, but the team in Cleveland um, did not have success, you know, and so many times we see this, we see this a lot. It's starting to really creep into high schools. Um, I think you see it in colleges and, you, you know, you even probably see it in the NFL, you know, that team, all of a sudden now you're not going to make the playoffs, you know, your sub 500 team, um, you're not going to get that playoff bonus, that playoff check, you don't have a chance to win a Super Bowl or a state championship you know, sometimes in the locker room, guys want to kind of shut her down. You know, I want to, I want to get mine. I want to, I don't want to get hurt, you know, high school kids. I don't want to get hurt for basketball. So I'm going to shut it down, but you were in that circuit, you know, that situation and you continue to play at a high level. Can you share just how you did it, you know, mentally, because again, you probably had chances to go other places. I'm, I'm going to guess where, you know, that doesn't have to be shared, but, um, you continued to play at Joe Thomas's level, the level you expected for yourself um, and the level that all the fans and, and everybody else knew that you had. How did you do it while you knew, and you probably knew some guys that were kind of taking it down, you know, shutting it down a little bit. Yeah. I think that was one of the most challenging things to learn during my career was to focus on the things that I control. Um, I was able to play for a number of head coaches and also assistant coaches that had worked for Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells. And I think the magic of those two coaches, why they were so successful is because they got a whole team of people that all have to work together to focus exactly on doing their job to the best of their ability and not worrying about what the other people were doing. Because when you worry about whatever somebody else is doing, you're losing focus on the things that you can control that you can do to help your team be better. And it's really difficult because if you think about uh, athletic glory and why we love sports, it's because of that feeling when you win, right? Like you win at something, you win with your teammates, that joy, that's unreplicatable throughout the world. Like when you go into business and everybody talks about this in college, uh, they say, you know, you'll never get that feeling that you get again in life that you get in the locker room when you're celebrating a win with your teammates and your coaches, because no matter how successful you go on in the regular world, it's just different. And so that feeling of winning is so great. It can become easy to feel like the reason I'm selling out on the football field is just to get that feeling of winning, which it is. But at the same time, in order to get that feeling, 
everybody needs to count on each other to be doing the best of their ability. And you need to also kind of block out that association with effort and winning. The effort should be to get yourself to play at its best. And I think that was a challenge, especially for me being a kid that when I was, shoot, my first two years of football in seventh and eighth grade, we lost zero games. We were eight and oh, and like seven, zero and one. But that was all Ben Strickland. That was was all Ben Strickland. I mean, of course, the kid (laughs) never got tackled. (laughs) <laughs> I was just there as a cheerleader, but I was a good looking cheerleader at that. So, but that was all Ben Strickland, right? And never lost. And then in high school, we went to state twice. We lost very few games when we were together at Wisconsin. I mean, we had really, really good teams. My senior year, we were 12 and one. We went 10 and three. We went nine and seven. I mean, we were a really good team, so we didn't lose very much. And then even my rookie year in the NFL, we went 10 and six. And so I thought that having a winning record and winning more games than you lose was just part of it and obviously I I knew that there was teams that lost but I just never had any concept of what that would feel like and so the first few times it happens it's really demoralizing and it can be easy for you to feel like well I don't have to give absolutely my best effort I just got to make it look like I'm trying hard because we're going to lose anyway and that's such a loser's mentality and it's important to get that out of your head as soon as you can and not let it creep back in because it's easy to let it get in there and then stay around. And at that point, you have accepted a loser's mentality and you've made the whole team worse. And so in the end, like I said, what is the main thing? Keep the main thing the main thing. I want to do as much as I possibly can to help my team win because it's a team sport and we want to win. But the way I do that is focusing on my own craft and doing absolutely everything I can from a study standpoint, from a weight room standpoint, from a practice standpoint, to be at my best so that the guys around me can count on me and they don't ever have to worry about me getting my job done. As a follow-up to that, oh, first off, you know, the Browns should have probably just drafted Ben because that would have probably been a lot of easier. Yeah, then we would have won a lot more games. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it was available that, too. Yeah, you talked about, you know, you talked about some of the, the turnovers and coaches. You know, you had a, a, some different coaches. Obviously, in the huddle, you had some different voices, you know, calling the plays, things like that. How were you able to adjust to that? I mean, it's a tough situation, you know, and things like that. But, you know, you were, yeah. as Coach B used to say, steady Eddie as you played. And, and yeah. you know, how did you how'd you go about adjusting to all that stuff? Yeah, so I, I tell people this a lot. I, I, I've got some high school <coughs> kids that I've worked with. And um, actually, I have a farm in Wisconsin. I got some high, local high school kids that work with me. And so when we're out doing the dirty, dusty landscaping in the summer, I like to every now and then throw in little, like, inspirational coach stuff, right? Coach speak. And so I, I talked to him about the quicker you accept your circumstances, the better off you're going to be. And that goes through sports, but also in life. If you think about the people that don't succeed when they hit adversity, it's because they dwell on the adversity. And instead of focusing on what I need to do to get beyond this adversity or maybe turn it into a positive and start taking that energy in your body and your mind towards a positive direction, you sit there and you have that woe is me mentality and you dwell on the fact that something bad happened. But the quicker you accept, all right, this is the shit storm I'm in. I just have to deal with it and move on, the better you're going to be. And I think that's my mentality when I played in the NFL. It was like, all right, I'm sitting here. It's week 17. We're already down to our third quarterback going into this game. We're actually playing the Steelers pretty well. We're driving down the field. We're going into the Heinz red zone. We're going to score a touchdown and we're going to win the game. And what happens? Oh, our backup left guard has a mental error. He lets the defensive end in who kills our quarterback, who is already our third string quarterback. And now we got a fourth string quarterback coming into the huddle that doesn't 
I don't even know his name because he just got here three days ago. <laughs> you know what? We got to make the most of the situation. We're allowed to laugh and we're allowed to kind of go, huh, how about that shit? But you know what? The sooner we can refocus and crawl back up to the line of scrimmage and point out who we got and go on with the next play like nothing ever happened, the better we're going to be down the line. Nice. Joe, I remember I was coaching uh, track and the throws at Oshkosh North, and I had a kid named Brandon Hool that was competing against you. He's a real, real good shot putter. Ended up going to Wisconsin as well. But I just remember uh, the one year you took, uh, you won the shot put. You were state champion in the shot put. You were also state champion at the discus. And your coach at the time is just an unbelievable guy. And I, I went up to him and I just said, wow. You know, everybody that watched you perform was just in awe. And I know a lot of people just said, boy, you know, you got the physical tools, but uh, talking to your coach, he said, it's not about the physical tools that Joe has. He has the it factor and his work ethic and his drive to become the best version of himself is, is unbelievable. Something he's never seen at the time. And I just gives me goosebumps, just kind of, uh, going over this and just remembering this conversation I had with your coach, who is a very well-respected throws coach at Brookfield Central. And our name of our podcast is Get Your Edge. So we have a lot of high school and college athletes that are listening. And what Get Your Edge advice would you give to those athletes for the rest of their life so mm -hmm. they can take it with you? Because you're, you've been so successful post-NFL life as well here. And I think a lot of NFL guys have a difficult time adjusting yeah. once they're done playing the game. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of things that I would love to share, but kind of specifically talking a little bit about what you do as you transition to that next phase after football's over, after you're done playing competitive sports, I would say like the most important thing is finding a routine that works with you that involves some level of discipline where you have boundaries, you have, um, different things that you'll say, Hey, I, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that and stick to it. And then once you get that routine, it is a joy of dealing with that routine and that discipline on a daily basis. And it gives you something to look forward to every single day. The, the teammates of mine that have struggled in retirement, either finding direction or purpose in their life or, or finding a career that has fulfillment, I think are the ones that don't give themselves enough discipline and enough of a routine where each day it feels almost a little bit helpless instead of I got to wake up and I've got these things to do. I've got this uh, set schedule that I get up at 5 a.m. or 6.30 and I work out uh, with these couple guys and I take a shower and I go eat breakfast and then I go take the kids to school and like you get into that routine and pretty soon you feel like you're humming along and every day has like this purpose to it. And I think everybody's just trying to look for some level of purpose um, in their life to give get that fulfillment and um, hopefully that's something that could be meaningful to people I know the other one that we talked about is you know keep the main thing the main thing sometimes yep. it's easy to be overwhelmed with your situation but just taking that step back taking that deep breath at times can be really helpful when you just need to focus on all right what am I doing this for why am I doing this in the first place I obviously decided that this was something I wanted to do but just reflecting back on why you did it can be really powerful also. That's awesome, Joe. So, so what's next here? You know, we got, we got, um, you know, you own a couple barbecue places. 
Um, you've been doing the NFL stuff, which you're, you're exceptional at. Um, you know, you, you did something that I've always wanted to do in my life and that's meet the rock and you fight <laughs> games. Um, you know, and, and being a dad and, and whatnot, I know is a huge part of your life, but I also know that there's competitive juices in there. And, you know, I've seen, you know, a couple of those weightlifting sessions that you have in the morning at five 30 with a couple of former players, you know, you got anything, you got anything in the works here for everybody or, or is it just yeah, take I, a I look would, at it? Yeah. I would say right now I'm really enjoying doing a lot of little things because for so long I've been doing one big thing, which was playing football and everything else in your life gets organized around you being able to go out and perform at your best in the football field. So um, I, I've got Mission Barbecue in Madison and throughout the Midwest. I'm a partner in that barbecue restaurant, which has been a lot of fun. It's been getting incredible reviews people just love uh, enjoying barbecue I love sharing that with people bringing into catering events um, I love working out with my crew like you mentioned Ben Strickland's one of those guys that we work out with in the morning it, it's a great routine we go Tuesday Thursday Friday every week and then I'll usually work out a, another day or two on my own um, I've done some smaller venture type investments I've got a farm um, but for me the big thing was when I retired from football I, I knew that I wanted to change my priorities and pivot them a little bit because when you're playing in the NFL, if you want to be good, you've got to put everything else on hold and you've got to put football number one. And that includes your family. I mean, they make all sorts of sacrifices for you to be able to be at your best. I think about my family would come into town on like a Friday or a Saturday morning to watch me play. And I would barely even see them on Saturday because I was in the basement where it's cool, wearing yep. my moon boots, getting my legs recovered, watching TV. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wasn't going to go walk around the zoo with them. Like I was focused on getting ready for that game the next day. And I, I uh, credit my family a lot for understanding that. And it helped me be at my best on game day. But when I retired, I wanted to shift that priority and make sure that now my family was the priority. And I didn't want to accept or take on any jobs that were going to force me to uh, have my family miss time with me, especially important things. And so I took a job with NFL Network, who I'm still working with them, and it, it's worked out great because I do the Thursday night football game. I do their pregame, halftime, and postgame. Um, so I'm gone Wednesday to Friday, but I still get to be home on the weekends when the kids are home from school. And um, the only thing that still remains to be seen in this little life plan here is where does coaching fall into it? Because I have such a great passion still for especially football and track and field. Um, and I love doing the coaching of the athletes that I have right now that work out with me, that we lift weights, but I could definitely see myself, especially as the kids get a little bit older, starting to coach their sports and then maybe even getting into high school um, weightlifting or, or football or track and field coaching, because I have such a passion for teaching and using and giving some of this knowledge that I've collected over all these years of playing competitive sports. Uh, one thing else, uh, Joel, that I just want to hit on, you mentioned uh, you have kids of your own, obviously, and I'm assuming they're going to be playing lots of sports because you understand all the multiple benefits of playing different sports. What advice would you have for our parents out there as uh, they are transitioning or, you know, they are trying to help their children and maybe they don't agree with the coach's decisions or Maybe they're, you know, they're not on a good team or what advice would you give for those parents to the best, the best help the, their kids? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of really strong principles that you can learn from sports, especially adverse situations when maybe you don't agree with the coach. But um, I think one of the great things you can teach your kids is commitment, right? Like, hey, I know you may not love your teammates or you don't love the playing time you're getting or you don't love what the coach is telling you. But like if you commit to something, let's follow through and let, let's finish it because you've, you've committed not only to uh, your coach and your teammates, but you've committed to yourself that this is important and I'm going to see it through. So I think that's a big one. Um, I think understanding authority and being able to, as a, as a young player who's an athlete, respecting that, hey, maybe I don't agree with my coach, but he is in that position of authority. He is the coach. So in the end, I have the ability to maybe disagree with him in a uh, polite, non-threatening manner. But in the end, he's the one that has the master plan and he's the one that's entitled to the bigger vision. And so I need to go along with what he's been coaching me to do in the end. Um, but I also think as a parent, strictly, I think encouraging your kids in a positive manner. This was one thing that I saw from a lot of NFL coaches that I had. We'd sit in these meetings and they would say, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't fumble the ball. Don't drop the ball. And they didn't under this, understand the psychological brain aspect of it. When you tell your brain not to do something, it doesn't know the difference between being told not to do something and to do something. So if your coach is telling you, don't drop the ball, don't jump off sides, your brain is thinking, drop the ball, jump off sides. Right. And so learning how to be positive and to be um, coaching your kids in a positive uh, manner, not just for their hunky dory happy feelings but to help their brain understand what it needs to go do when it gets back out on the field and so i think just finding a positive way to say things can be hard and can be challenging but i think it could be really fun for a parent or for a coach um, and the last part of that would be if you're a parent and this is what i started doing now that my kids are doing basketball is instead of the first thing you do when they get in the car giving them well you should have done this better you should have done this or or give them 10 things that they did really well. Maybe just think of one thing and frame it as when I saw you do this, it really made me proud. Like when I saw you hustling on defense, that really made me proud. And then just let them talk. Because if you ask them questions, as any parent would know, if you say, hey, how was basketball? They're going to say, good. Because they don't want to talk about it, right? <laughs> and if you get into them and say, well, you should have been hustling or you should have dove for this ball, they're going to shut you off. But if you turn it and flip it and say, hey, I really like the way you took that coach's coaching point on those layups. It made me feel really happy seeing that. Now you're not always going to get a great response out of them, right? Cause they're still kids, but I found already not only dealing with pro athletes when I was on the sideline helping coach up my teammates, but also through my own kids that you get a lot better feedback, a lot better back and forth and a lot more trust is built when you kind of, talk about the practice or talk about the game that they just played in that direction rather than them feeling like it's their teacher just telling them what they have to do. I think a follow-up to that too. And I've, you know, I've coached my kids, you know, and so it's very hard. And these, you know, for people that are our coaches that coach their own kids and it's very hard that once you open that car door, you have to not be the coach and you have to yes. be dad or you have to be mom and that was, that for me was a very hard thing to learn. And for a while it really hurt, you know, my relationship sometimes with my kids, cause you get in the car and it's this, this, this. And so what I trained myself to do, I got in the car, we shut the door. I looked at them. I, and I 
because there were games where there wasn't anything to really compliment. So yeah, you're like, come on, I just yeah. do it here. You're just burning inside was, to say stuff. Yeah. So with, with Jade, my middle son, I would look at him. I said, man, I love watching you play. Boom. And then an hour and a half later, when I decided I want to talk about the game, <laughs> no, but um, you know, Joe, real quick, I, I just want to share this really quick story before we, we let you go here. Um, and this just speaks to the person you are and, and whatnot. Um, my wife and her family are from Cleveland. Her dad has been a Browns fan for his entire life. Um, I believe Ernest Biner actually lived in their neighborhood. Um, and so I think he moved out after he fumbled, but I think, he, <laughs> um, but he's been a diehard Browns fan for years. I made a call to you and said, Hey, it's, it's, you know, Corey's dad's 70th birthday. It would mean the world to him. You know, if, if I could get something, he said, Hey, you know, I'll just come over for an hour or, you know, a little bit. And I was expecting you to come in, um, you know, spend 15 minutes and whatnot. And you came over to the house, you spent like two hours, hung out with the kids, just, you know, just, and it was genuine. Um, and I always laugh with my, with my brother-in-law, Jason. I'm like, you know, all the work you've done to be Bob's favorite. And I said, I moved in there, and, but, um, I, you know, that, that, that just really was a, was a great thing you did. And I know you do so many more things like that, Joe, you're such a great person and, um, just matches what a great player you are. So, um, you got anything else for our listeners before we let you go here? Yeah. It reminds me of something that I try to live my life by. It's like do good for others without keeping score, because in the end, you're going to hear stories like that, that make you feel like really good about what you did. Um, mutual friend of ours, Mike Lorenz. Yes. He was an offensive lineman when I was there. I just got a text from him the other day, and this was crazy. So my wife and I went to the Cubs-Brewers game a couple weeks ago, and uh, it was a school night. So as you know, when you're a, a strength coach like I am, and you wake up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, you can't really push too late at night or you're going to be <laughs> damn tired in the morning. And so the, it was a nighttime Brewer game. We had great seats because my buddy is the strength coach for the Cubs. So we were like third row behind home plate right next to the Cubs bullpen. And so we were leaving in like the seventh inning. And as we were walking out, there was two kids that were trying to sneak their way down uh, to get a little bit better seats. And the usher stopped them and asked them for the tickets. And of course the kids were like, Oh wait, I have to show you my tickets to get down there. Oh, come on, man. You know, of course he's the ushers like scram. So we're leaving me and Annie. So I just gave him the two tickets. I'm like, here, go have fun guys. It was like the seventh inning. So those kids ended up going down there and sitting right behind home plate. And I got a text oh, like three days later from Mike Lorenz. And he goes, you'll never believe it. Those two kids that you gave those baseball tickets to one was my nephew. Oh, <laughs> and he's like, they had the most amazing time of their life. And it just kind of reinforced to me, like, you know what, just random acts of kindness are really powerful because in the end, you may not know who they are, but somewhere down the line, there's, uh, a Mike Lorenz or a little kid like that that's going to hear that story and you're going to make such an impact in their life by just doing the right thing in life in general and just trying to live your life like that. Well, that's awesome, Joe. And we, we, we truly appreciate you sharing some time with us today. Um, you know, Dean, obviously with his work with Fox Valley Throws and then obviously me with Sports Advantage, um, you know, some of the different things that we've been able to talk about today really going to be impactful for a lot of our listeners. So, with that, we're going to conclude this episode. Tune in next time for another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast.